Father. Oh, what a song that um, seems to be one of those that just does kind of go across time periods, not because the song is so special, but because of the Jesus that it sings of. He is so special. And I just pray that today that you truly would, um, through the work of your Spirit, allow us to hear what we need to hear, allow me to speak what I need to speak, that in the end of it, that uh, these people would truly be encouraged and strengthened, and Jesus would look really good, please. In your precious name we pray. Amen. All right, let's have a seat. They asked me to play the flute on that last number, and <clears throat> told them I was busy. Here's what we're doing. Um, first of all, uh, today obviously is... Uh, the 10th anniversary of 9-11, we are going to get together to remember 9-11 at 4.30 with Discovery. Um, The the goal of that is to just slow down long enough and realize that we are in this country, and I do believe we have a responsibility to to minister to our, the people around us, that it really is a significant event in the life of our country, and so therefore the church should come to bear in some kind of a way just to, uh, to remind us about the reality that there is a God that, uh, that loves us, that is passionately in pursuit of us, and uh, in the midst of those times, uh, what better thing do they need than Jesus Christ while the world is all over the place? And so if we don't speak into this, into this we're kind of, I think, a little bit crazy. The other thing is, is uh, we've been speaking about this idea of hope. And my heart really is with, with this idea of hope is that we would truly grasp and understand and buy into the hope that we possess because of the work of Jesus Christ and just the reality of a sovereign God moving everything to this final conclusion when Jesus comes back. And so... What we're going to be doing also this fall, there's going to be some uh, time for, uh, for women to get together. The heart of our women's ministry really is to, uh, to give a place for women to belong. But the, the ultimate goal really is that our, our women of this church would find greater hope in Jesus. Um, I, I too often forget what my wife goes through on a, on a weekly basis. Um, and uh, I know how much she needs women in her life. And so just if you're a woman, you can, it'll be the pretty table in the back. Um, you can't miss it. So here's the, here's the main thing I've been trying to accomplish. And I uh, hope you don't mind. Today I'm going to be sitting down. But um, if everything we've said is true, now think about it. Revelation 21, we talked about this amazing place that Jesus in John 14 promised he was going to prepare for us. So he said that, that where I am, you there, you might, might, might be also. That Jesus said, I'm going to have this place where I will be the centerpiece of it, and I'm inviting all of you to it. And, and in Revelation, it was called the new Jerusalem and, and the new earth and the new heavens. And it's this place that he's promised to us that he said by, by its exact uh, uh, makeup will be new. It'll be different. It'll be other. It'll be by, by exact uh, nature better than what we experience here. And, and it's the fulfillment of God's intent way back when he started the whole thing. That if that's true, and, and not only that, but last week we talked about the fact that not only will the earth be changed, but we talked about the reality. Aren't you glad we'll be changed? We'll be different. We by character will be new. We'll be, we'll be other And for the first time, and and it's the thing I always tell people, for the first time when we finally receive these new bodies that Jesus has promised us, we will finally truly be human. 
truly, authentically be what God's intent was when he, when he started this whole thing. Finally, he'll bring it to a conclusion. He'll populate this entire new earth. He'll bring us in as new changed people. He'll be the centerpiece of it all. And we just talked about what that is going to be like. But we talked about the people that will be there, Revelation 21, will be these people that are overcomers. They're people that not only have, have expressed and, and by faith come to Jesus Christ, and we, we were try, I tried to be so clear with this idea that literally there is no other name whereby which we can be saved but through Jesus that we try so hard to be king of our life and run the universe and we're tired and we're worn out because we're not God. We can't do it. And this group of people that are coming into this Jesus and humbly acknowledging that he accomplished the work that we couldn't. That one now isn't just an acknowledgement that he is the one, but a belief that he can change us. The message of the gospel is a message of change and we're a changed people. And in that change we talked about, those people, those are the overcomers. We've been empowered by the Spirit we talked about. And all of that empowerment, our whole life, the Spirit is showing up in our life and doing all these works that I can't do in my flesh on my own, but only through the power of the Spirit. And it's just all this evidence that one day then I'll have this excitement to stand in front of God, not because of anything I've done, but because of the work and the power of Jesus and the cross and the empty tomb and also the work and the power of the Spirit in my life when I stand in front of Him one day oh finally and it's what I talked about last week we'll get the yes face and this week man I it was so funny to watch my son and I kind of talked about this yes face no face thing last week but you remember what your dad's no face looks like or your mom mom's might even have a better no face that when you come in you know you're in trouble and then last night I came in and I had I guess more of a yes face on because my son kind of looks at me like (laughs) Is this the no face or the yes face, daddy? And then all of a sudden I felt guilty. But I, I, I came in and, man, he just, man, that's what he wanted to see. And there's this reality for each of us that know Jesus Christ, that he's done a work in our life, that he's transformed us, that the power of the Spirit, as he's come into us and just done all these things for our life, the heart cry of every believer should be that day that finally we hear from Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. And so what we're going to be doing today, if that's true, then we can all live completely different. If that's the outcome of eventually what we're going to come to, if that's where we're all moving, we can live different, we can love different, we can, we can literally put things out there, we can actually take steps of faith believing that if that is what God has in store for us, he's been faithful all along, and each time we take these steps of faith, we see over and over he's more faithful and more faithful, that that is the God that we serve. We can go ahead and live differently in this life. And my whole goal is, is that every person in here would really be able to come to that spot that because they believe this, people will ask them about the hope that they have. I really want that. I want people to see our lives and our following of Jesus and it just be mind-numbing for them to have to figure out why do these people live like they do. And the passage that we're going to be in this morning, Romans 5, is when you can go ahead and go there in your Bibles, but Romans 5, we're going to start to look at this, this idea then, <clears throat> if this is all true, how does God prepare us to stand in front of him one day how does God prepare us to stand in front of him one day what is it the process that he takes us through in this life to prepare us to stand in front of him day so look at chapter 5 look at verse 1 we're going to go through verse 5 he says this therefore 
Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So here's how he's going to start. He's going to start with this idea of therefore, and he's going to talk about this idea of having been justified by faith. Now, what justification is, is that when we come to Jesus Christ by faith, not anything in of ourselves, but literally we are moved by God to come to him, acknowledging that there is no other name in heaven by which we might be saved, but it's Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. The outcome of coming to that is that God the Father, because of the work of Jesus, because he is just and the justifier of him who comes to him in that way, he declares us completely acquitted of all charges that used to stand against us. That means all the sin, and, and if you're anyone, and if, well, you are like me, you're human, you just know that all this sin that is accrued over our entire life is that God, because of the work of Jesus and him bearing everything that we were owed, We are acquitted of all charges. We're finally at this point of being good with God. In fact, the way that he's going to explain it, look at this. He says we have peace with God. I don't think in this case he's speaking about some type of inner peace or well-being or feeling peace on the inside. Not that that's not something that might come from this, but this idea of shalom from the Old Testament carried more of this idea of meaning that both currently and in the future, we are right with God. The prophets would speak about this idea of being right with God. And and more importantly, in the very end, all the prophets would speak about this idea of not experiencing the wrath of God. It's not this internal thing, an Eastern mysticism type of a reality. It is really this this hope that all of us have that when we come to know Jesus Christ, he bore the wrath that we were owed. And this song, it's funny, Mike and I were talking about it a little earlier, Mike Land, we will never know how much it cost to see my sin upon that cross. We don't have a clue, do we? We don't have even an inkling of the amazingness of him bearing the wrath that was owed us. And this idea then, if you go to chapter 5, verse 9, just a few verses down, he's going to explain to us a little bit more about what he means by this idea of peace with God. Look at verse 9. He says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, because without the shedding of blood there's no forgiveness of sins, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. He's explaining this peace. Verse 10. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by, the, uh, by death of his son, much more... Now we have been reconciled and shall be saved by his life. See, this idea of peace with God is as he has now bought me, that idea of reconciliation, is he's bought me out of the slave market of sin. Colossians 1 speaks to that in just a clear way. And in buying me out of that now, I am in a completely right relationship with the creator of the universe. And to that we should all say, amen. That's terrible. Amen. Okay, good. Make sure you're alive. But the thing I don't want you to miss in all this, because I want Jesus to look good today. We have peace with God, not because of us, not because of anything we've done, but through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
down in verse 11, he talks about this idea that, that the reason that we can boast now, the reason that we can exult and triumph in the work of God is through Jesus. In verse 21, we, grace now reigns in our life. We used, to, we used to be reigned by a bad taskmaster, by sin, and, and sin is a taskmaster. We, no longer, we didn't have grace in our life, but once we were saved, we were pulled out and we were put in Jesus, and now being put in Jesus now, we are just literally in fullness able to, to live in grace in a way that we, we, we now exult in and hope in. The gift of God is in Jesus, Romans 6.23 deliverance from all these things that are in our lives, the, the literal ability to overcome sin is through Jesus, 725. The love of God that we now experience in, in 831 or in 839 is this whole idea, it's through Jesus. And he's going to explain it now that because of it, here we come back to it again, through him, through Jesus, verse 2, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. When we come to know Jesus Christ, it's not that he now makes us right with God, but literally the idea is, is he just places us fully into an ocean of God's grace. In 521, you can go there and chat in Romans. Aren't you glad we're only in the book of Romans today? He says, so that sin reigned in death, look at this, Grace now might also reign through righteousness leading to eternal life, meaning that once I got put into Jesus Christ, everything now is mine in Christ. I have received everything that the Father gives to the Son. I receive all the grace that he has. In fact, the way that that's framed is, is the idea it's over me, under me, around me. I'm fully engulfed in it. I'm just swimming in an ocean of God's favor. I am fully, Romans 8 says, a child of God. I can have a bad day or a good day, and I'm still in God's grace. Things can go wrong. People can die. I can get sick. All these different things can happen. But because I'm in Christ, I am just swimming in an ocean of the goodness and favor of God towards his son, and I get to receive it. And all of you that know him receive the same thing. But he doesn't stop there because he's going to explain this grace a little bit further. And he says this, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, this is where we're going to camp today. We find our greatest joy, we find our, our greatest happiness, our greatest contentment in the glory of God. And what he means by the glory of God there, he's speaking of in the past, we were justified. We, we were, the price was paid. In the present, we're being showered by grace. We, we have peace with God. And now he's going to talk the future. We find our joy in the return of, God, of Jesus when God's glory comes with him. See, this is why I've been speaking about this whole idea of hope. At the bottom of all of it, let me ask you this question. Do you long for the day when Jesus comes back and finally sets all this stuff right? Now just think about it for a second. Don't, don't answer me. Don't, don't amen me or anything. Just think. Is the place that you find the most joy in your life the reality of Jesus coming back one day and setting all things straight? 
Because that's the question at the core of who we are as believers. Paul says a statement here is that now our faith, and he's going to point it forward, our joy is in hope. In the hope of finally the day that Jesus Christ sets all things straight. Now his idea of hope here, it's so important. He doesn't mean hope like, well, I wish it. I, I hope it happens. To them, when they understood hope, it was confidence. Look at chapter 4. Look at verse 18. Let me kind of explain it to you a little bit. 4.18. And what does he talk, why does, how does he explain hope? Now look at how he starts it off in verse 18. In hope, it says, and he's speaking of Abraham here, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the bareness of Sarah's womb. Verse 20, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith and he gave glory to God. Here's our word. It's going to explain faith for us out fully. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Do you believe when I say to you that what God promised, he's going to finish? And I believe deep in my core, and I stand in front of you as a pastor, that, and I always pray about it before I say this, that loves you, he's coming back. He's going to come back, and he's going to make all things right, everything in our lives right now in this world that has nine, that we have to, we have to remember 9-11 because we know we live in a fallen world. Do you long for that day? Because in the bottom of it is, is if you don't long for that day, everything I'm about to preach about the rest of the day doesn't make any sense. It has no bearing whatsoever. See, I feel like so, so often when we preach to you, our desire is to try to fix your life now. And in some ways, the Bible really does speak to that of, of how we, we deal with the realities of our life. But at the core of who we are, this life is this long and we try so hard to fix everybody's life for this long and we miss the fact that eternity is forever. My job as a pastor is to walk with you and shepherd you and love you and care for you and do everything that I can to be the power of the Holy Spirit to do this, but to prepare you for the day that you stand in front of Jesus. And so let me just say this to anybody that's in here. If you don't know Jesus Christ, if you've never come to know him, today is the day. You are at war with God right now, and you may not even know it. But there is a God who loves you, who sent his son to die for you. And Romans 8 talks about this fact that if he is for you, then who can be against you? And he is calling out to all of you that don't know him, come to him today. Don't come with pride. Don't come with arrogance. Come understanding that Jesus is the king of kings and Lord of lords and bow your knee today. Now, for those of you also in this room, I would just say to you this, if you're someone that doesn't think much about eternity, that doesn't think much about standing in front of Jesus, I hope that this week and next week will even increase that. Because I want nothing more than all of you, when you stand in front of Jesus, not to stand there as one that literally we're going to talk about it later that has shame, but literally this one that has seen God in his life. That you have by faith stepped out and you've seen the faithfulness of God. So you step out more and you you deal with sin in your life and you deal with all these different things in this life knowing that that it does have bearing upon the day when I stand in front of Jesus Christ. I want everyone to have that hope in the return of Jesus. That was the cry of the early church. 
the early church constantly was, had this statement of, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But in a weird way, I think the thing that has hurt us so badly, our biggest, biggest problem now is that we glory in the now. Don't we love the now? We sold our birthright, I think, for the now. We've sold out for the now. I want a house now. I want a car now. I want toys now. I want it, whatever it is now. I don't want to live by hope. I don't want to live there. I want it and I want it now. I want heaven now. I want everything. I don't want to store up my treasures in heaven. I want it now, 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 now. And I'm so glad Hebrews 12, we have a good God that's a good dad that says, come here, we need to discipline a little. Because when my kids do that, they're going to mommy and daddy's room. So glad we have a loving dad. See, that's also the grace that we live in. This dad that won't let us be this spoiled little brat that wants us to understand that this life, there's nothing compared to what he has for us. In fact, go to Romans 8. Look at verse 18. Just maybe a page or two over. Paul even says this. He says, I consider the sufferings of this present time, look at this, are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us when Jesus comes back. He even says it this way. He personifies creation, and he says about creation, he says, for creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Even the earth is sitting here crying out, the way he personifies it, just dying, can't wait for Jesus to finally come back and set everything straight. It was the cry of like James 1. But in it, Paul's going to go on. He's going to help us understand, explain to me more about this joy, this hope. And now this is so important. What he's going to do is he's going to help us to find that hope, but he's going to give us the pathway to finding this hope. Now, that you're going to see here in just a little bit, this, this first gateway into hope is one that not necessarily most of us like. But he's going to say to us, if you want to find this hope, there's a pathway that you've got to face if you're going to find it. And no one's going to escape from it. In fact, the way James says it, he says it's not if we experience trials, but when we experience trials. And so now he's going to come to us and explain to us now what is it that he's going to be doing in our lives. Look at chapter 5, verse 3. He's come off this idea of the hope of the glory of God, and he says more than that, look at this, we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice rejoice in our sufferings. Now, the idea that he's speaking about here this is this, when he talks about rejoice, it's not really rejoice like, yay. It's more like triumphant, like, yes. Now, to the outside world, that sounds sick. You're going to yes in your suffering? Well, he's going to explain to us why, because I don't want you to think somehow that we're all a bunch of masochists. We're not masochists. I don't wake up in the morning and go, oh, I just enjoy pain. I hope I go through so much pain today. We don't derive pleasure from pain. We hate the reality of living in a painful and fallen world. We're not psycho. 
The only reason that we find any type of joy in pain is because the outcome that he's going to promise to us is hope. We're able to see through the pain. It's almost like in Hebrews 12, it talks about this idea that about Jesus. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The cross wasn't fun. But he knew on the other side of the cross was something so big and so important and so special. When he talks about this idea of suffering too, it, it's important that we understand it. Tribulation, the idea is it's just pressure that's exerted on people. We live in a fallen world and because we live in a fallen world, it's just this pressure that comes down upon all of us. Um, another way of maybe putting it is, is not only that, <coughs> excuse me, but every single person on this planet is suffering in some kind of a way. They just don't know it oftentimes. And we're going to speak to this next week on what we're supposed to do with this. But the key that he's going to talk about with this is if I really want to come to hope, I must start at the beginning of suffering and it must start with a joyful expectation, a reality that I believe that God is going to, if he sends me down this path of suffering, the outcome will be something beyond anything that I can imagine. It'll be hope. Because if you don't believe it on this side, you're never going to face your trials how God asks you to face them. And I know in this room right now, we have people facing all kinds of different trials. But I promise you, those that know him, God truly does cause all things to work together for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He's not going to promise at the end of it to make it all peachy and rosy, but we're going to get into it. What is it then that he's seeking to do? Well, he says this, we rejoice in our sufferings, and he says this, knowing that suffering is going to produce this thing called endurance. Now, it's something the early church talked about a lot. In James 1, consider all joy, my brothers, and you experience trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces, and he's going to say this, endurance. Now, the idea of endurance, it's, it's this word that means this ability to bear up under, this, I can, I can hold things. I, I get, it, the, literally, the idea is that troubles toughen us up. It's a, a spiritual fortitude that, that actually, as we get more and more pressure and we approach it with more and more joy and more and more via, and we're going to talk about in verse 5, this idea of the power of the Spirit, we begin to become tougher Christians. I saw this even in some ways on a physical level. You know about this. People always say, you know, the, um, the idea of the bones. The bones, they get stronger not by us sitting on the couch. Bones get stronger through regular exercise, and as the body is exercised over and over again, it has the capacity then to strengthen the bone. That's how God's designed it to be. And the goal of God in suffering is not that you would suffer. That's not his goal. His goal, Romans 12.1, is to turn you into a marathon runner. He wants you to endure to the end. You'll see this like in Hebrews 10. You'll always see these ideas of God truly wants you to make it from point A to point B. And so therefore, in order to make it from point A to point B, he knows he has to bring all kinds of different things into our life. But one of them that he has to bring into our life is suffering. And it really does depend upon our attitude. See, a wrong attitude, and I've always seen this either in my life or other people I've, I've walked with, a wrong attitude as you enter suffering will only lead to bitterness and disappointment and frustration and self-pity. And instead, God says, no, I want you to come in with a joyful expectation that whatever you're going through right now, in the end, I'm going to give you back more than you can imagine. I am going to make you stronger. I'm going to, to toughen you up. 
And I think the point is, is that until hardship comes into our life, I also think we're not going to fully understand who Jesus is. See, go with me to 2 Corinthians 1. Let me, let me show you what I'm talking about. 2 Corinthians 1. Look at verse 8. What is God seeking to do with all these trials and, 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 and difficulties in our lives? Paul says to them, look, I, I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But, and I love this, that was to make us not rely upon ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. See, what God's going to do is, is these pressures are going to come down upon you, and they're going to come down upon you hard. And as they, as they do come down upon you, it is going to reveal who you are. In fact, this word that we use in there in, in uh, verse 3, this idea of, of, of endurance, that's, or uh, excuse me, character that's going to come next, is that God's whole goal <coughs> is to heat up the fire of our life because he wants to show us that we're legit. He doesn't want us to live in the reality of us being a hypocrite. And so as he moves on with that, he's going to say, look, if you, if you come into these trials with joy, it will produce endurance. And then he says this, endurance will produce proven character. Now, this is where it gets good. I want everybody in this room to understand this, that in the end, what God wants you to do is, is he wants you to see you are really one of his kids. I think the cry heart of every believer is to know I truly am one of his and this process that he's going to put us through, he's going to allow us to go through, the whole goal is to get us to this point where we, we, we are displayed as legit. We are one of his. We're not a hypocrite. We're not a charlatan. We're real. And how does he do that? Well, this validation that he's talking about, this, this proven character has to do with, and, and I've shared this story before, but literally the silversmith would, would heat up that vat of, of silver, and in heating it up, what would happen is, is the dross would come to the surface, and it would, the silver would start to become more and more purified, and the, and the silversmith would just wipe away the dross, and he would go through this process over and over again, because his whole goal was to look down inside of the silver and to see himself. It was called the face test. When he had finally seen himself in that silver, he knew that silver was becoming more and more pure. Why does God allow pain into the life of his children? Because his goal is that you would look more and more and more like his son. That's not my goal. Many days, my goal is not to look more and more like Jesus. I'll sometimes go, you know what? Yeah, I, I really want to be more like Jesus. And I wish somebody would grab my shoulders and go, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> you want to be more like Jesus? Because the reality of being like Jesus is, is that you have to walk the path Jesus walked. And it wasn't rosy all the time. I'm not saying we have to suffer. Please don't hear that. There's all kinds of ways in which we are shaped and molded into the image of Jesus. Uh, Jesus even said that his word is truth and, and his, his word transforms us and sanctifies us and makes us more and more holy. But one of the tools that God uses that none of us will escape from is this idea of suffering which leads to endurance and endurance which leads to this proven character. 
talks about it in, in 1 Peter 1. Go with me over there. It's towards the end of, of the New Testament. 1 Peter 1. And look at verse 6. Peter's going to tell us to rejoice again. <laughs> verse 6, he says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold and that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to the result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, what God is doing by this process is he is prepping you for the day that you stand in front of Jesus. He wants you to stand in front of him with the confidence, the confidence not because of anything in me, but because you've seen God do a work. He, he wants all of us in this room to have this idea that I'm real. I'm legit. I'm not a fake. I've seen God in my life. I've seen the Spirit of God come out of me. It's, it's not just that I said a prayer when I was four. But I've seen confirmed in my life over and over the faithful God that's in me and as he's in me. I see works come out of me that are not of me but of him. I'm real. I mean, isn't that your cry? I think the scariest thing to hear in the Bible is that person that stands in front of God one day and God says, depart from me, I never knew you. And you all know this, those of you that have gone through deep, dark moments in your life, God is never more real than right there. I haven't been through terrible times. I, I know there's some of you that have been through way worse things, and there's people on this planet that have. But it's in those times we really get to know Him. It kind of strips away all the other stuff that gets our attention. And all we have left is just, just him. And for Paul, back in Romans 5, he says this proven character, this idea of I'm real, I'm legit, I've seen God in my life. Even in the darkest moments, I've seen him. And the idea he's going to say is, is that produces the hope that he's talking about of the glory of God. Because all these other things get stripped away and all we have left after all these different times of walking through these difficulties is we start to just gain that greater and greater heart upon Jesus and then finally the, the song becomes true is the things of this earth become strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The process that God has begun, he needs to exercise this muscle of hope because he wants us to know that one day we will stand confidently in front of him. And there's a pattern of growth here and it's what I talked about last week. It's, it's in the here and now there is to be this pattern of growth, however imperfect it is because I'll tell you what, after 20 years of walking with Jesus, I'm a completely different person than I was way back here. And the things that God had to deal with back here, I'm so glad that way back here he didn't deal with all of my foibles and failings and sin and nastiness in one moment because that would have been painful. 
But instead, he's this good God that over time, he just slowly begins to shape us and mold us into the image of Jesus so that one day we will stand in front of him, not with the confidence of our own, but because of the work of Jesus and the power of the Spirit in our lives. That's why he says this in verse five, and hope does not put us to shame. It's very looking forward to the glory of God. I told you that's the centerpiece of all of this. We won't stand in shame. Hope doesn't do that. That faithful God that causes us to to lean on him and see how much more faithful he is with each trial and each moment, that's the God that we can't wait to see. That's the God that we we can't wait to stand in front of. We know that when we stand in front of that Jesus, when we stand and he says to us, well done, good and faithful servant, we knew he took our sin, bore it, he took it completely on himself, therefore I can stand, not with arrogance, and don't hear me on that, but with a unique confidence knowing that, oh my gosh, I am truly, truly a child of God. And that's why he says it this way in verse five, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. He gave us the Spirit so that we would know, Romans 8, that we truly are one of his children. In fact, the way Paul says it in Ephesians 1, this way, verse 13, he says, in him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. If you don't see the Spirit in your life, do something about it. Today is the day. I don't want to just create a room of spectators. I want to be involved with a group of people that are passionately pursuing the end, that are passionately pursuing when Jesus Christ comes back with everything that they are as the Holy Spirit transforms them and works with them. And and trust me, I'm a completely different person now than almost 20 years ago when I came to know Jesus Christ. I'm so glad God doesn't try to take all the impurities out of me in one moment. He's just this good, gracious dad who just slowly, slowly begins to work and transform us and make us into this image of his son. I want everyone in here to be prepared for that day Jesus comes back. So if you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, today is the day. Quit trying. Quit striving Quit trying to be the ruler of this world because it gets tiring and then there's only one ruler of this world. If you're someone in this room that maybe you did make a profession and you just noticed in your life that there's nothing coming out of you, there's no hope, there's no, there's no fruit in your life whatsoever that would call you a believer, I don't know if you are or you aren't, but would you seek one of us out? Come up to the prayer room. We'd love to pray with you. Or maybe right now you're someone that's just in the middle of just the gunk and the muck of life. I'd love to talk with you up at the front. We want to pray for you. You are not designed to go through this alone. You're designed to go through it with a body. Because the Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians 12, if one part suffers, the whole thing does. And so if you're someone there that's just dealing with whatever's going on in your life, we would love to talk with you. But I'd love to finish with a video of a good friend of mine, Tim Pyatt. I don't know if any of you have run into him lately, but... A few weeks ago, he found out that uh, he has bone marrow cancer. 
And I'm sure he's had some low moments and some times where he's wondered what in the world God is doing. But if you get a chance to talk to him, he is a man that has lived everything that I've just preached. He's a man that has lived this reality of suffering and he's chosen to take suffering on. In fact, I think his words were to me when he, when he got it, when he found out when he had cancer, he said, look, I'm just gonna memorize the book of Philippians. Okay? But I had no clue what that was gonna do to him. Is that in his suffering, it's produced a unique endurance and in that endurance, it's produced this, this reality of just character. He's been revealed for who he is and some of the stuff he's liked and, and some of it he hasn't. But the thing, if you talk to him, there's so much joy and hope in that man that it blows you away. So I just want to finish with this video. But if anybody wants to come forward to get baptized after it's over, I don't know how long we've said this. Get baptized. I love each of you. Hope is the word. I've heard that a lot lately in a medical sense. Mr. Pyatt, we have great hope that uh, these treatments will result in uh, eventually hope. (laughs) Hi, my name is Tim Pyatt. I've been going to Cornerstone for 10 years or so. My wife, Liza, and I are very active in our community group. And I'm here to talk about what God's been doing in my life lately. In the book of James, it says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, because the testing of your faith produces endurance, and endurance will have its perfect result in you. So I would like to say that I'm perfectly joyful about the circumstance of my life. That's not the truth. But in what's happening in my life, I've just been astounded by God's promises and the joy that he's giving me in the circumstance. About two months ago, I was diagnosed with multiple myeloma cancer. So I have bone marrow cancer, and I have bone cancer because it's affected my spine and my, my legs and my pelvis and my ribs and a number of other places. But that's the physical medical report. But I'm really here to talk about the spiritual report, which is quite astounding, actually. My hope is not in the medical establishment. My hope is not in McKesson Pharmaceuticals. My hope is not in drugs. My hope is not in these things. These are things that are helping me be more healthy, but my hope is in Him. I'm sure that I'm not unlike many of you that when something happens in your life that you can't explain, that's beyond your control, that looks bad, you know, you want to pray about it and maybe it keeps you up at night. Maybe like me, from time to time you wake up at 2.15 in the morning and you're saying, what if, what if? So, the fact is, I have been driven to my knees more now than any other time that I can remember in my life. And you know, I've discovered something amazing, and that is God has some astounding promises in his word, and I've seen them come about. In the book of uh, Romans, Romans 8, it says, In all things, God works for the good, for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. In all things, including if somebody has cancer. Verse 29 is not as often quoted as verse 28, but it says, Because those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, that he the son would be the firstborn among many brethren. So I don't know all the reasons I have cancer. 
And I can't say in all honesty, I'm glad I have cancer, but I know this, the fact that I have cancer, he's using this to conform me to the image of his son. And that's the good that's talked about in chapter, in verse 828. The good is that I will be conformed to the image of his son regardless of the circumstance or maybe because of the circumstance. quote another scripture his followers said master rabbi why is this man afflicted is it because of his sin and Jesus said he's not afflicted because of his sin or the sin of his parent he's afflicted in order that the son of man may be glorified so I'm I don't know what the future is going to bring I like Paul I could die tomorrow or I could live for many years but I I do know that whatever happens, it doesn't really matter as long as the Son of Man is glorified.